Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Now, as we stand at the threshold, 2008, looking into 2009 ahead of us, I want you to cast your mind back to the beginning of this year. Cast your mind back to the beginning of 2008. Cast your mind back to where you were at as you entered 2008. What were the resolutions that you may have made? Some people still make New Year's resolutions. Not necessarily a bad thing. Without a vision, people cast off restraint. It's not bad to set goals for your new year. But what did they amount to? Maybe some of you had set the goal of embarking on a course of study. And you said, look, I'm going to take this course. I'm going to give myself to this study. It's going to be hard. It's going to mean that I'm going to have to sacrifice my time. I'm going to have to be committed. I'm going to have to shun certain things and give myself to something that maybe I'm not naturally inclined to. I'm not maybe a a natural student, but I'm going to study with the hope of achieving a certificate, advancing academically, maybe progressing in your career choice. Maybe you, like many, determined to give yourself to a Weight Watchers diet to get on the program. Thanks, GD. And so you said, okay, this is my year to shed some pounds. I'm going to count the calories and make every calorie count. And you determined by the summer, when I get ready to jet off to that beach holiday that I've planned for, I want to be that size. I want to be that swimsuit size, that bikini size. That's the guys, right? (laughs) Maybe you felt like the middle-aged spread was creeping, creeping on, setting in. And you felt like, okay, I'm going to commit to some crunches every day. I'm going to shed a few inches on the waistline and drop a few trouser sizes. Maybe you embarked on a new job in the hope that that job would improve your quality of life, give you a more fulfilling and satisfied experience that would cause you to feel a greater sense of value because you were 
given yourself to something that you really wanted to do. Maybe you entered into a new relationship. One that you had been desiring for some time. One that you hoped would be all that you desired and dreamed. Maybe you had been saving up for some electronic labor-saving device. Some of you guys might have been after a new laptop. Notice I didn't say Mac. Some love them, some hate them. Maybe for some it was a new car or a, or a dishwasher. And with the anticipation of gaining any one of these things, there was the hope that things would be better for you. That you would be further progressed in life. Maybe a little closer to the personal paradise that so many of us desire. So many of us yearn for. Now, I say personal paradise. That, that individual utopia, that dream life that we desire and hope and maybe even pray for. We want a better life, basically. We want things to be better. For most of us, it's probably not just that we want a better life, but we want to be better people. Maybe we set the goal of Studying our scriptures more, fellowshipping more, praying more, serving more, in the hope and desire to be more faithful, to be more pleasing to God, to be able to wake up in the morning and feel like God is smiling at you, even if the gray clouds loom outside. To have that sense of well-being and wholeness and completeness of being in right smack bang center of the will of God. Maybe we've hoped for these things. Maybe we had planned for these things. Maybe we had prepared for these things. Maybe we had prayed for these things at the beginning of 2008. Well, we're at the end now. What happened? We're at the end of 2008 now. What happened? What happened with that job? Did it work out to be all that you had desired it to be or are you looking to change already? What happened to that relationship? Were they not the prince? but rather the frog? <laughs> Were they not the princess? I couldn't think of something else to go with princess like frog. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? They weren't all that you would hope for. Maybe that electronic item actually proved to be more of a curse than a blessing, more of a hindrance than a help. 
You got that new HD TV, but you just can't get the picture to look any better than the old one. You, re- you, you realize you found out that you have to spend a fortune on cables after having spent a fortune on the TV. It wasn't what you anticipated. You thought it was going to be plug and play. Plug it in and everything's wonderful. What happened to that car? I'm sure that most people at some point or another who drive and who've been driving for any length of time have experienced buying a car only to have problems within the first few weeks. Yeah, I see a few nuts. I've got a few witnesses. The car that I have now, when we bought it, it was relatively new. I say relatively, two, just over two years old. And we felt like we were moving up in life. Car. Electric mirrors. Electric windows. Car starts when you put the key in the ignition. We were like, praise God. Progress. We got a good deal on the car. Hmm. We got the car home. Was it the same day, Judith? Was it the same day or the next day? I think it was the same day. Listen. Now you have to remember, this is a car, two years old. German construction. You're expecting reliability, right? Where I lived at the time, the side roads were a little hilly. And you can imagine how I felt having spent all this money for a two-year-old car to take it round the corner to head up the hill to go about my business and the thing starts chugging like a tractor. No power, foot's down, full on the floor. This is not meant to happen. This car is supposed to be the answer to all our problems. I mean, it's only two years old. What happened to the studies? Four months in, workload was too much. Missing out on too much fellowship, too much socializing. Lecturers weren't stimulating you. Began to fall by the wayside, maybe. As you look back on 2008, what has it been for you? Has it been great? Some people may be looking back on the best year of their life. Some people may be looking back on the most productive, most fulfilling, most rewarding, most satisfying year in their remembrance. Well, if that's you, We rejoice with you and we ask you to tell us your secret. Because in reality, most of us probably look back on our year with mixed feelings. Yeah, there were good times, but there were also hard times. And when you look back and you look for the the marks of progress, you may feel that whether it be in your quality of life, 
or your personal character, you don't feel very much more advanced than when you started the year. Well, I have good news for you today. God loves you. You can't lose. God loves you. You can't lose. I told you it was a simple message. God loves you. You can't lose. Romans chapter 8, I asked you to turn to. Verses 29 and 30. And the Lord really encouraged my soul with these verses. I just want to unpack it a little bit. To help give us some perspective as we head towards 2009. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified... These he also glorified. Amen. God loves you. You can't lose. Now, what we have read is a summary statement in some ways. The Apostle Paul writing to the Romans has written seven chapters already prior to this. Probably seven and a half chapters if you take the beginning part of chapter 8. And he's almost arrived at this climax, this crescendo of verses that speak of the goodness of God toward man. And it speaks of God's love toward us. It speaks of God's intent toward us. It speaks of God's determination and appointment for us. It speaks of the fact that God is committed to us. God is committed to you. He's committed to you. And he's going to ensure that you don't lose. Now, it's a real simple message. It's one of hope. But let me clarify from the outset that it is conditional. It is conditional. What do I mean by that? There are strings attached. You see, this promise and this expectation is for all those who are in Christ Jesus. Meaning, who are in relationship with God through faith in Christ, having been forgiven. It's funny how... Children are so innocent. 
I say that in a general sense. In their attitude toward one another, they're so innocent in their attitude towards life, small children. And children have this attitude of, if there's a problem, very often it's short-lived. Especially when they stand to lose out. So parents, you may be familiar with those times when you maybe you don't permit your child to have something. No, you cannot go out to play. No, you can't have baked beans and ice cream for dinner. No, there's something that they really want. And you stop them from having it and they're vexed. You're not your friend anymore. Don't want to talk to you in a half, in a puff. Until they see that which you have laid out, ready and prepared. Their favorite spaghetti bolognese. Okay, so it's not baked beans and ice cream, but... Or it might be burger and chips. So you're having a a relaxed day. Not watching the diet too closely. And it's funny how in an instant everything's fine. Everything's all right because they know if they don't start talking to you and relating to you on a on a on a proper level they're going to miss out. Well, So many of us as adults carry that attitude into life and have the attitude toward God. And we feel like some of those people that may say, well, if there's a God, why is there so much evil in the world? I don't believe in God. I don't want to have nothing to do with him. We're vexed. We're angry. Maybe there's been those times in our lives as believers when we've prayed for something and we've not seen the answer. We've held out. We've confessed all the verses that we knew to confess. And each morning we plead the blood and we anointed with oil and we've done all that we could do. And we didn't see the answer to prayer. And we began to get dejected, downcast, disappointed, and dismayed. Until we see the prospect of God doing something wonderful. And when we see we stand to gain, we perk up. Not because of God's goodness necessarily, but because of our own benefit. Well, we recognize in a fundamental sense that God's benefit to all people is conditional if you like, it is exclusive to those who have made right with him on his terms. To those who have made right with him on his terms. You see, we can't just waltz up to God Anyhow we feel like, anytime we feel like, I think that because God loves us, 
He's not going to expect something of us. God's love for us has been revealed and exemplified. It has been most clearly stated and pictured for us in Christ's death on the cross. Now, that won't really mean much to us until we properly understand the fact that, you know what? We, our lives, at our best, on our best day, are offensive to God. The Bible says that our human righteousness is as filthy rags before God. Filthy rags is somewhat of an understatement. Because in the original, it makes reference to sanitary towels. Now that's very, that seems very unseemly thing to say even from the pulpit. But it says it in the Bible. And that's how it speaks of our righteousness in the sight of God. It's it's not even nothing to him. It's despicable. It's disgusting to him. But it's only the righteousness of Christ that credits us in the sight of God. It's only the death of the perfect man, Jesus Christ, on our behalf, that is able to make us acceptable to God. We have to come to terms with that. I tell you something, to the close of this year, the Lord has been rocking me on that basic message. The cross of Christ. I was guilty and deserving judgment. I was a moral youth. Never smoked weed. Grew up in church. Tried to go raving once. Got as far as the door. Didn't go in. It was only a pound to get in. I just, that wasn't me. And yet, I knew I was a sinner in need of forgiveness. And I recognized however good, however much I had attended church, however moral I was as a young person, I was destined for judgment. Now, God in his goodness opened my eyes to that reality. And it was through the message that you're hearing today. The message of the cross of Christ. And to this day, the reality of that rocks me. To this day, the reality of that grips me. And it has to keep gripping us. It's foundational to our relationship with God. It is the only basis upon which we have right relationship with God. That we can say that us and God are cool. It's the only way. Through having surrendered and submitted our lives to Jesus Christ as Lord. Having come to him for forgiveness. Having received new life. Having received his spirit. And now we become heirs to the promise. Now we can hold our head up and say, God loves me and I can't lose You know what that has meant to me? The year that I've had, 
to be able to say, God loves me and I can't lose. Even when I think about the year that I'm facing, uncertainty, challenges, trials. And yet, God loves me, I can't lose. God loves you, you cannot lose in Christ. Now, in verse 1 of chapter 8, we see that God in his goodness he gives us a clean slate. You might look back on 2008 and think, man, I flopped. I, I, I I'm so disgusted at the way that I have failed God. I'm so disgusted at the way that I have let him down, the way that I've let myself down. Maybe some of those goals and aspirations that you had at the beginning of the year, you didn't achieve, you didn't attain to because of your own laziness, because of your own laxity. It could have been for a multitude of reasons. I know I stand in that place. And you look back and you think, why would God invest anything more in me Why would he give me any more opportunity? Why would he give me any more chances? Why would he back me for any reason at all when I've been such a failure? God loves you and you can't lose. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Listen, God loves you, he is committed to you, and we know that he has not written you off. There is no condemnation. To be condemned is to be written off. In building terms, it is to state that a property is not fit for habitation. There's only one thing left for it, and that's to be knocked down, disposed of. Some of us feel like that. I'm heading into 09 and I just, I don't feel fit for God to to be a part of my life. To bless my life. To grant me opportunity and manifest himself in my life. I don't feel fit for that. But God says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, some people take the end of this verse and get nervous as Christians. Because they will say, you see, that's true. To those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Woe is me, I am so fleshly, I'm so carnal. So I'm under condemnation. That's what we say to ourselves. But this is not what the scripture is saying. And the scripture goes on to clarify that in the following verses. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Here's that phrase again. Do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Well, that only applies to me if I'm walking in the spirit. But if 
if I'm in disobedience or I do my own thing, then I'm cut off. It does not mean that. Look carefully. We see that these verses state Jesus didn't condemn us, but he condemned our sin. He wrote our sin off. He disposed of it. He demolished it through his death on the cross. We were guilty under the law and justice had to be met. It had to be satisfied. We stood to receive judgment in order for justice to be satisfied. But Jesus took our judgment that we might be free from guilt under the law. And free from the law of sin, the principle or energy of sin at work in us. It's like the law of sin, you could say, is being referred to in the same way that someone might refer to the law of gravity. The law of gravity. Will you find it entered on the statute books in the high court? No. It is a principle, it is a force, it is a power that is at work in creation. And so, if you go to the top of the building and step off, you will fall. The law of gravity makes it clear that you will be pulled to the ground by this force. And so in these verses, we see it speak of the law of sin We see it speak of the law being the written commandments that reveals sin, exposes sin, that that power or that energy or principle of sin. And it speaks of the law of the spirit of life. Three different types of law being spoken about. And we see that Jesus fulfilled one to do away with the other that we might inherit. The third. He fulfilled the commandments in order to do away with the law of sin, to, ab- to abolish, to demolish sin that we might inherit the law of the Spirit, the energy of the Spirit at work in us, in Christ Jesus. And so, The power of the spirit now reigns in our lives as believers. Freeing us from the power of sin. And so therefore, we don't walk. Now walking, what type of of motion is walking? Is it a stop start? Is it a, a faltering? Is it an occasional motion? Or is it a frequent, consistent, and persistent motion? That's what walking is. If I take a step over here, change my mind and come back, you couldn't say that I walked anywhere. You see, as believers, we may falter, we may stumble, we may trip, we may step. But if we walk in the flesh... 
meaning if we walk according to the dictates of our own desires, impulses, and motivation, apart from God, then you know what? The Bible questions whether or not we're really a believer. If we're still practicing sin, the Bible questions whether or not we're really a believer. So we may have those fleshly outbursts. We may have those carnal connotations. We may have those moments of madness. But that doesn't disqualify us. We are not under condemnation. God has not written you off. You might look back on some of those moments in 2008 and feel like, Psh, I deserve to be struck off, let alone written off. And yet, God has not written you off. God loves you. And you can't lose. God loves you. And you can't lose. Now there are so many more things to be said in those verses. And I'd encourage you to read it. And reread it. And reread it. And read it with a commentary. And read it with a Bible handbook. And get familiar with all that God has done. In providing for us and assuring us of his love. All that he has done in providing for us and assuring us of his love. He hasn't condemned us. He has freed us. He has filled us with his spirit. Enabling us to walk in righteousness. We don't have to fear putting a foot wrong. In verse 15. Why? Because we're accepted by God. How many of you know what it's like to walk on eggshells around people? Scared to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, lest they blow up in your face. But we don't have to walk with that attitude. We did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But we received the spirit of adoption. You're my child. Don't worry about making mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. But I still love you. I'm not going to let you go. I'm still going to bring you through. The Holy Spirit affirms us in our hearts. That we are children of God. He affirms us even in our failings. He's like the coach that is beside the athlete in training. Trying to learn how to sprint hurdles. And yet he keeps knocking them down. The coach doesn't sack the athlete from the team. He trains the athlete. He guides the athlete. He advises, he encourages, he instructs the athlete as to how to do better. It doesn't matter how many hurdles you knock down in 2008. God loves you. You can't lose. The 
The Holy Spirit reaffirms that in our hearts, that we are children of God, that we're heirs and joint heirs with Christ, it says in verse 17. We're joint heirs with Christ. We share in Jesus' inheritance. God doesn't treat us like the black sheep of the family. <laughs> like a second cousin receiving hand-me-downs. But we are joint heirs with the number one son. God loves you and you can't lose. And sufferings do not negate that. Some of you may have suffered. <laughs> suffered. In 08. Maybe you suffered emotionally. Maybe you suffered spiritually. Maybe you suffered financially, relationally. The reality is that everyone suffers. I don't have to be a prophet to stand here and point at someone and say, my sister, I know you're suffering. The Lord has given me a revelation. I don't have to be a prophet to do that. Everyone suffers, right? It's one of them kind of Nostradamus prophecies, general. Anyone can fulfill. Suffering doesn't negate that. In verse 18. Furthermore, we see that not only do sufferings not negate that, sufferings do not prevent us. Furthermore, suffering does not compare to that which will be revealed in us. So many times we use the excuse, listen, if you, I would be a better, you know, I'd be a much better person. I'd be such a better Christian if only you knew the problems that I have. If only you knew the husband that I live with. The wife that I have to put up with. The boss that I've got at work. The kids. And we use all kinds of things to make excuses for our lack of progress. All kinds of things. Well, sufferation of sufferations. But listen, suffering is no excuse. In verse 18, I consider that the suffering of this present time, furthermore, sorry, the sufferings, plural, because they're multitude, right? Are not worthy to compare with the glory which shall be revealed in us. God is committed to you. You cannot lose. He is committed to making you all that you can be. And there is going to be a glory that will be revealed in you. Which sufferings and all the sufferings that you've been through will not compare to. Not in the slightest. 
The whole world is in suffering. Verses 19 to 22. The whole world is in suffering. Creation itself is groaning, suffering under the curse of sin, waiting to be released from this curse. You know that this is not the way things were meant to be. The world in which we live is not the way that God intended it to be. It is not the way that God created it to be in the beginning. I'll tell you something. I remember when I first went to um, Calvary Chapel uh, in Westminster when Brian Brodinson was there. And um, we were doing a, a Bible study. We started a Bible study at um, this brother called Rupert's house. And Rupert was as his name suggests. A very eccentric, no, how do you say it? Eccentric Englishman. Beautiful brother. Some of you may have even encountered him on the tubes. Uh, brother with a green barber jacket and a ponytail. And it all goes on the Northern Line and, and, and um, the Victoria Line, sharing out tracks and sharing the gospel, speaking to people about the Lord. Wonderful brother. And he opened his home for the Bible study, and we started in Genesis. And I remember the first two weeks of Genesis, like it might have even been three weeks, we were in verse one. And I learned so much in that verse one, I felt like it was more than I'd ever learned in my Christian life. I felt like just with what I understood from that verse one, I could go out and evangelize the whole world. I mean, it was just spirit-filled teaching. It was banging. And one of the things I learned that was a complete revelation to me was that the world that God created was in a tropical environment throughout. So you think of Hawaii, um, them kind of places there, tropical, lush vegetation, white sand beaches, and wonderful sunshine, could do with some of that right the whole world was created originally to be that kind of environment we see that the book of genesis in chapter one talks about a a water canopy above the earth and that water canopy had the the job of distilling infrared rays and, and maintaining a perfect climate, perfect humidity throughout the whole world. And then sin entered into the world. And that was eventually gone. And there is scientific evidence to support this today. They have found tropical organisms... In the digestive systems of woolly mammoths in the polar regions. So they have, they have dug up dead carcasses of woolly mammoths and other such polar beasts. Encased in the snow, encased in the ice. And when they've opened their digestive system opened them up and looked inside them, in their digestive system, they've seen tropical organisms. And they're saying to themselves, but hold on a minute. How can tropical organisms 
be food for creatures in a polar region? How did these creatures encounter, these beasts encounter within their environment, tropical organisms? And it supports the fact that pre-flood, because remember at the flood, it says that the Lord burst the waters above and the waters from the deep overflowed. And then the whole world was flooded in a great flood. After the waters settled, the climate of the world was never the same. There's scientific evidence that supports the fact that Creation was created perfectly by God from the outset. Now, they're the kind of things they don't really teach you in biology. They're not trying to support creation, although there's been a press for that in these days. But creation itself is crying out to be freed from the curse of sin under suffering. We all suffer. And there is going to come a time at the end when creation will be freed from the suffering. At that time when the sons of God are made manifest, it says in verse 19. The earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing or the manifestation of the sons of God. Sons is a term that gives value, the highest value to all God's children, male and female. It's not sexist in the slightest. And so we see that suffering is a part of this present order. Suffering is not something that is strange or should be strange to our lives. Suffering is something that we should expect. As you enter 2009, maybe with the hope of less suffering and less tribulation, I'm not going to stand here and say that you're going to have less. But I will stand here and say you can be stronger. You can deal with it more effectively. You can deal with it more efficiently. Why? Because God loves you and you can't lose. God loves you and you can't lose. Verse 28, we see that God furthermore is working out every circumstance in your life as a believer in Christ Jesus for your best. He's working all things together. Even the suffering. Even the trials. Even the failings. Even the flops. He's working them out for the best. And you know the thing that amazes me? God knew from before the foundation of the earth who we would be. Whom he foreknew... You also predestined. He knew who we were going to be 
not generically, okay, there's going to be humanity. And humanity is going to be like this. No, individually and specifically, God knew you. And he knew the course of life you would take. And he knew the times you would fail him. And he knew the times that you would flop. And the times that you would disappoint. Dishonor. Disregard. And all the other kind of dissing we could do. And yet, he predestined. He predetermined your destination. Establishing the boundaries within which you would journey. Such is God's commitment to you. He is going to get you to the end of the journey. He is going to get you there. And what is there? Where is there? What is the end of the journey? Is it heaven? So many of us as Christians live with the mentality that heaven is the goal. As Christians, heaven ain't the goal. We're already assured of that. That's already in the bag. That's already in the bank. We see from the next phrase that there's bigger fish to fry for us. The destination is to be conformed to the image of his son. To be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. And you know what? What this says to us is that God is going to make you like Jesus in every sense of the word. Sooner or later. See, God in his sovereignty set you apart from before the world was formed and said, I have determined your destination. You are going to be like Christ. But that could be sooner or that could be later, much later. It could be when you arrive. See, the destination isn't heaven. The destination is to be like Jesus. We see this repeated several times throughout scripture. And how many of us know that that is the greatest goal we could have? That is the greatest goal we could have. That is the greatest hope we could hold in our hearts. For those of us who are Christians, we have a renewed focus, we have a new outlook on life, we have a, a, a renewed motivation for life, we're no longer living life just for ourselves, for what we can accumulate, what status we can gain, you know, what things we can amass, but we live with a higher purpose. There's nothing more disappointing, there's nothing more frustrating than when we are not like Christ. There's nothing that hurts us more, that causes us to feel dejected, mad at ourselves. It's not when we don't get the big promotion. It's when we don't get the big promotion and we become, um, what's the word? Tempestuous. 
We have a temper tantrum and we get vexed and we get jealous of the one who did. See, not getting the promotion is not the issue. It's how we deal with it. How much like Christ are we in that situation? Well, however much we have not been like Christ, God is committed to get you there sooner or later. Some classic scriptures to consider in relation to the fact that God has committed himself to do that before you were even born, before the world was even formed. And God is not a man that he should lie. Let God be true and every man a liar. Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Hear that? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. See, it was God's choice according to his own motivation. We don't see in scripture why. The Lord alone knows. Who are we to argue with that? We only deserve judgment anyway, right? So if we get any kind of favor, it's a bonus. It's a relief. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us deserve anything but lashings, torment from God. Because he's perfect in all his ways and we're not. How is it that he even would deem to tolerate us because he's good. He's good. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God loves you and you can't lose. Even if you have to suffer, you can suffer in hope. You know that God is going to get you there. Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you faultless. Before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Jude says to him who is able to keep you. To preserve you. From stumbling. And to present you faultless. Before the presence of his glory. He's going to do the presentation. And here is another one. My father. For whom I shed my blood. For whom I preserved in the power of my spirit. And all glory will go to Jesus. 
So, we see the sovereignty of God. And yet, there is human responsibility. You see, God is committed to you. God loves you and you can't lose. You will finish the race. But how are you going to finish? Are you going to finish in style? Are you going to finish in shame? Are you going to finish with a swagger? Are you going to finish with a limp? Turn with me in closing to 2 Timothy 2. The scripture makes it clear that according to our level of cooperation with God, according to the way in which we give ourselves in this life and in this time now to him and his purposes, to his will, will be determined our reward, our appreciation, the value of our life. See, we, we'll, we're going to get there. I've always had a problem with those songs. Everything's going to be all right. That's a term that needs clarification. Love sounds a blackness. Big tune, but I always had a problem with it. Everything's going to be all right. Really? Well, if you're in Christ, and if you're in Christ and you're committed to the way of the Lord, everything will be all right. But even for us as Christians, yeah, we may get there all right, (laughs) but that might be just about all that we get there. 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. We see here clearly stated that there is a choice that we have. A choice as to our outcome. A choice as to how we will arrive. And if not, when we will arrive at that place. You see... It says here in verse 21 that if we cleanse ourselves from those dishonorable things, we are able to be vessels for honor. The scripture states that those who Christ brings into glory are are his trophies. We become his trophies through which he receives glory. Look at these trophies of mine that I won through my blood, through my sacrifice, through my selfless death. But are we going to be a little wooden cup? 
little cracked clay pot? Or are we going to be like gold and silver? In the eyes of God when he looks over us. And that status is clearly determined by what we do with this time that we have. How much we give ourselves to being conformed to the image of Christ. You see, we can, we can go out like Moses. Don't resist him. Why would you want to do that? And if that's you, I encourage you. I'm going to ask Pastor Rob and um, Judith, Sarah, Bertram, Marky. Yeah, afterwards to come up. And we'll be up here available for prayer for whatever your needs be. Especially if you need forgiveness and you need salvation. And you need to come into a right relationship with God. Come. It would be a privilege and a pleasure to pray with you and introduce you to the God who loves you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness towards us. Thank you, Lord, for ah, giving us such great prospects because of Christ. And we realize that those prospects are not just free and easy. They came at a high price. Jesus, you are the all in all. All roads lead to you. (laughs) You are the starting place and the final destination. The alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. It's all you, Lord. And we praise you, Lord Jesus, for, for making it possible for us to have this hope. For making it possible for all of the issues we go through to have redemptive value because of what you've done for us. We thank you that our lives are not a dead loss. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a purpose and a hope, a future and an expected end for good and not for evil. We thank you, Lord. All the promises of God are yes and amen in you. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that because of you, we can't lose. You've demonstrated your love toward us. In that while we were sinners, you died for us. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. I pray for all those, Lord, who have not taken that step of surrender. Who have not come and sought your forgiveness. I pray that you grant them the wisdom and the courage to do so today. In Jesus' name.